Hey, just a note, if you are joining us for the first time right now, I suggest you go back a couple and start with the first two stanzas of William Wordsworth's Ode. Hello, this is Jeff Windsor, and this is Lucky Words, a podcast where we talk about culture, art, and a good deal of poetry, ideally all while we're outdoors doing something cool. I'm back up at Blue Rock today in the valley. I came up because when we were camping here the other day, my son Henry slept in a hammock and he tied it up with a couple of straps. And as we got home, he realized he left the straps still up on the tree. So I hiked back up in order to see if the straps were still there. And they were, which is nice. But there's also now a bunch of beer cans and a couple bottles of malt liquor and other stuff and there's a still smoldering remnants of somebody else's fire man that annoys me so I'll probably be packing out their garbage because I don't know who else is going to do it it does make me feel quite a bit like a middle aged man when I show up get grumpy and then pack out their garbage but hey I am what I am I'm going to finish up Wordsworth's ode intimations of immortality today. The last segment we looked at together was looking at the child as the best philosopher. It ends, Thou little child, yet glorious in the might of heaven-born freedom on thy being's height, why with such earnest pains dost thou provoke the years to bring the inevitable yoke, thus blindly with thy blessedness at strife? Full soon thy soul shall have her earthly freight, and custom lie upon thee with a weight heavy as frost and deep almost as life. Continuing on from there. 9. O joy, that in our embers is something that doth live, that nature yet remembers what was so fugitive. The thought of our past years in me doth breed perpetual benediction, not indeed for that which is most worthy to be blessed, delight and liberty, the simple creed of childhood, whether busy or at rest, with new-fledged hope still fluttering in his breast. Not for these I raise the song of thanks and praise, but for those obstinate questionings of sense and outward things, fallings from us, vanishings, blank misgivings of a creature moving about in worlds not realized, High instincts before which our mortal nature did tremble like a guilty thing surprised. But for those first affections, those shadowy recollections, which be they what they may, are yet the fountain light of all our day, are yet a master light of all our seeing, uphold us, cherish, and have power to make our noisy years seem moments in the being of the eternal silence. Truths that wake to perish never, which neither listlessness, nor mad endeavor, nor man, nor boy, nor all that is at enmity with joy can utterly abolish or destroy. Hence, in a season of calm weather, though inland far we be, our souls have sight of that immortal sea which brought us hither, can in a moment travel thither, and see the children sport upon the shore, and hear the mighty waters rolling evermore. 
So in this section, he begins to turn from the sadness of the previous section, mourning that while childhood had this best vision that he has lost it, while he complains that the child doesn't recognize what he is about to lose as he grows older, and the child who plays at being older doesn't realize that he's playing with the kind of death that he's going to lose, his vision that he gets from that innocence, he starts here to turn. He says at the beginning, In our embers is something that doth live, that nature yet remembers what was so fugitive. So he's saying it's not altogether gone. There is still a piece of it left. He is still able to recover some of the childhood innocence. He's still able to recover a piece of what he had before. He's able to still hold on to a piece of it. He says, The thought of our past years in me doth breed perpetual benediction. It leaves him feeling like there is an ongoing sense of closure. But then he says, Not indeed for that which is most worthy to be blessed. And he points to some of the things that we think of as childhood. Not for these, I raise my song of thanks and praise, but for those obstinate questioning of sense and outward things, failings from us, vanishings. So what he is proud of, what he is still praising, despite the fact that his innocence is gone, is that he still questions. He can still wonder. He can still ask obstinate questionings. And, he says, high instincts before which our mortal nature did tremble like a guilty thing surprised. There is still an instinctual aspect to this. What we had in childhood, we still have and cannot lose because we still have this instinct. And he calls them the fountain light of all our day and a master light of all our seeing. And they have a power to make our noisy years seem moments in the being of the eternal silence. What was years ago can seem just moments ago if we hold on to that either the innocence or those obstinate questionings. He switches the metaphor a little bit at the end of this section, where he switches from childhood to the ocean, and then he kind of combines them. Hence, in a season of calm weather, though inland far we be, our souls have sight of that immortal sea which brought us hither. No matter how far away we are, we can still see where we came from. Let's continue. Section 10, slightly shorter. I like there to be birds, because it talks about birds. Where are the birds? I will. Then sing, ye birds, sing, sing a joyful song, and let the young lambs bound as to the tabor's sound. We in thought will join your throng, ye that pipe and ye that play, ye that through your hearts today feel the gladness of the May. What, though the radiance which was once so bright be now forever taken from my sight, Though nothing can bring back the hour of splendor in the grass, of glory in the flower, we will grieve not, rather find strength in what remains behind, in the primal sympathy which having been must ever be, in the soothing thoughts that spring out of human suffering, in the faith that looks through death, in the years that bring the philosophic mind." This section, a little bit more straightforward than the previous sections, perhaps, where he is rejoicing that he's figured something out, that what what he thought was the childhood innocence, what he thought was something which he had lost, he has discovered. 
that he still has access to, or at least a kind of access to. So he is rejoicing, he is singing, he is celebrating. He says, we will grieve not, rather find strength in what remains behind. We're not going to be sad. We'll just be glad in what we do have in the what remains behind, in the vision, the clouded vision of our age. In the primal sympathy, he says, of having been must ever be. It can't ever totally be taken from us. It can't ever completely be lost. That sense of innocence, that questioning, that view of the eternal that comes with the focus on the now, that will always be available. He ends that section with a couple of paradoxes. The soothing thoughts that spring out of human suffering, in the faith that looks through death, in the years that bring the philosophic mind. Paradoxes underscoring the fact that what we had in our youth does not disappear but transforms with age. That as we get older, we don't lose the innocence, but we simply have to find it in a different way. And now the final section, number 11. And O ye fountains, meadows, hills, and groves, forebode not any severing of our loves. Yet in my heart of hearts I feel your might. I have only relinquished one delight to live beneath your more habitual sway. I love the brooks which down their channels fret, even more than when I tripped lightly as they. The innocent meanness of the newborn day is lovely yet. The clouds that gather round the setting sun do take a sober coloring from the eye that hath kept watch o'er man's mortality. Another race hath been, and other palms are won, thanks to the human heart by which we live, thanks to its tenderness, its joys and fears. To me, the meanest flower that blows can give thoughts that do often lie too deep for tears. In this, he's closing up his observations, and he is glad, but he is bringing it down a little more soberly than he did in section 10. He does point out that he has lost something. I have only relinquished one delight, he says. But while he has lost that one thing, he has gained others. I love the brooks which down the channels fret even more than when I tripped lightly as they. He has a deeper appreciation for them. He loves them with more maturity. He's able to understand them and see them with that philosophic mind. And with that philosophic mind... He is able to love them in a way which is, in fact, more than what he had before. I think it's important to take the last four lines together and not to separate out the final couplet. They go, Thanks to the human heart by which we live, thanks to its tenderness, its joys and fears, to me that meanest flower that blows can give thoughts that do often lie too deep for tears. The important part is that he is saying, thanks to his human heart, his tenderness, its joys and fears, all of these things which come with maturity, fears and tenderness are not the purview of childhood. So thanks to his maturity, to him the meanest flower that blows can give thoughts that do often lie too deep for tears. 
It is only because of his maturity that he is able to enjoy the full breadth, the full depth, the full magnitude of understanding nature and mortality, the now and the then and the yet to come. Wordsworth is thus seeing immortality not as a state of perpetual childhood, but a state of perpetual growth and development and understanding. It's a good view that it's not a static sense. He doesn't view a kind of heaven where people just sit and don't change or progress. But the progression is important, and as we progress, we are able to love more and see more and appreciate more and enjoy more. That's a view I can get behind. That's good stuff. I myself hate to think of a heaven sitting on a cloud, strumming a harp, and just singing songs all day. But for there to be growth, there has to be sadness, and there has to be suffering, and there has to be experience. But I do think that's part of heaven. In fact, I think that's what makes it heaven. I also like the fact that William Wordsworth understands that immortality and eternity are not just part of the future, but they're part of right now. And that we are eternal beings, living in eternity. Even right now, when we're living in the middle of the messy United States, even right now, while I'm standing in the middle of a beautiful valley, it's polluted with a bunch of idiots' beer cans and malt liquor bottles. This is eternity. And it is magnificent. One more time, the last three sections of William Wordsworth's Ode, Intimations of Immortality from Recollections of Early Childhood. O joy, that in our embers is something that doth live. The nature yet remembers what was so fugitive. The thought of our past years in me doth breed perpetual benediction. Not indeed for that which is most worthy to be blessed delight and liberty, the simple creed of childhood, whether busy or at rest, with new-fledged hope still fluttering in his breast. Not for these I raise the song of thanks and praise, but for those obstinate questionings of sense and outward things, fallings from us, vanishings, blank misgivings of a creature moving about in worlds not realized, high instincts, before which our mortal nature did tremble like a guilty thing surprised. But for those first affections, those shadowy recollections, which, be they what they may, are yet the fountain light of all our day, are yet a master light of all our seeing, uphold us, cherish, and have power to make our noisy years seem moments in the being of the celestial silence, truths that wake to perish never, which neither listlessness, nor mad endeavor, nor man, nor boy, nor all that is at enmity with joy can utterly abolish or destroy. Hence, in a season of calm weather, though inland far we be, our souls have sight of that immortal sea which brought us hither, could in a moment travel thither, and see children sport upon the shore, and hear mighty waters rolling evermore. 10. Then sing, ye birds, sing, sing a joyful song, and let the young lambs bound as to the tabor sound. We in thought will join your throng, ye that pipe and ye that play, ye that through your hearts today feel the gladness of the May. 
What, though the radiance which was once so bright be now forever taken from my sight, though nothing can bring back the hour of splendor in the grass or glory in the flower, we grieve not, rather find strength in what remains behind, in the primal sympathy which having been must ever be, in the soothing thoughts that spring out of human suffering, in the faith that looks through death, in years that bring the philosophic mind. 11. O oh, ye fountains, meadows, hills, and groves, forebode not any severing of our loves. Yet in my heart of hearts I feel your might. I have only relinquished one delight to live beneath your more habitual sway. I love the brooks which down their channels fret, even more than when I tripped lightly as they. The innocent brightness of a newborn day is lovely yet. The clouds that gather round the setting sun do take a sober coloring from an eye that hath kept watch o'er man's mortality. Another race hath been, and other palms are won. Thanks to the human heart by which we live, thanks to its tenderness, its joys and fears, to me the meanest flower that blows can give thoughts that do often lie too deep for tears.' 